Welcome to the Electricians Co-op. I'm your host, Rob Bruss. Today on the show, we've got Simon Bedard from the Exit Advisory Group. Simon and his team are experts in helping you to unlock the wealth in your company. If you've ever thought about selling your business, then Simon and his team will help you to understand exactly what your business is worth, what your exit options are, and how to increase the value of your company prior to putting it on the market. By the end of today's show, you'll have a much better understanding of what it takes to prepare and sell your electrical business. Let's get started. G'day, Jamie. G'day, Robert. How are you? I'm really well, man. What's new in your world? Oh, just out and about, just trying to battle through these all these restrictions with all the boys, but going good. Have you been able to navigate all of the rules the New South Wales government's imposed? It seems like the only thing we're talking about on site is the rules. Oh, really? I think you need to be um, really good at changing the subject because it's quite easily... Easy to talk about COVID all day. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. Hey, yeah, you get it's stuck crazy. In that. It's draining. So yeah, I try and change the subject pretty quickly with the boys and uh, talk about you know what we love. I was going to say, what do you change it to? Footy. Oh, well, there's not much. Foot. Is there footy? footy I don't know. Even on? I don't it's even not even know, on anymore, right? Just yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what we really talk about. But there's a bit of banter going on. But yeah, just try and change change the topic from the the old COVID. But there's restrictions going on left, right, and centre. I had an example the other day where we had a job and we weren't sure we were allowed to be at a job. So I said to one of our boys, "Ring the local police station and ask if we we're allowed to be there," because we didn't know we couldn't find the rule on Service New South Wales website. So he rang the police officer, constable such and such, and he explained the scenario and the constable said, sorry, you can't be there. So I'm like, oh, shit. So I had to try and hustle to find the boys another job. So anyway, one of the guys from work rang his wife who was at home and he said to her, can you go through the website to see if we can be here? Anyway, she scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and eventually found something that indicated that we could be at that site. Oh, my God. (laughs) So anyway, we rang back the police officer and said, hey, mate, you know, we've just found here on Service New South Wales website that we can be. He goes, yeah, all right, no worries, stay. He doesn't it's know like, either. He didn't even know the rules himself. <laughs> it's so a blanket. It it's a full day. Yeah, it's just a blanket. No. Oh, man, it's yeah, crazy. it's great. Are you all right with it all? You coping okay? Um, every now and again, I get caught up in the rabbit hole, start digging, but I try and keep myself out. I try and stay positive. Um, the one thing that I can control is what I listen to. So I turn off the news and radio and just focus on podcasts and audio books and you know stuff like that. I just want to maintain positivity going to my head rather than relentless negativity. Yeah, I haven't seen any of it. The only person I hear it from is you. You, you kind of let me know like, all these bad things are happening. I'm like, what the hell? I'm so busy doing what I'm doing. Simon Bedard, welcome to the Electrician's Co-op. Yeah. It's great to have you here, mate. How Thanks, are you? Simon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> awesome. How's COVID been for you so far, mate? It must be like boom times in the business brokerage with everyone going bust and people trying to capitalise on opportunities. Is that happening or is that just me kind of in some fantasy world? No, you know, look, that's actually a really common misconception. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's worth noting. Uh, we tend to deal with companies who aren't kind of that far gone. If they're that far gone, they probably need a liquidator. Um, you know, and having said that, if you're having those sort of troubles, we can recommend someone to you. But it's, mate, I, I've actually found it's a really weird environment. You know, a lot of people think there's a lot of people selling. In actual fact, there's a hell of a lot of people looking to buy. Right. Um, there's been more buyers than sellers. There's a lot of money sloshing around in the economy with people looking to invest in different things. Um, Jamie, to your point, you know, COVID's had an impact on people. So they sort of go, well, okay, well, where else do we invest that's not going to be impacted? Um, and so that, that just means there's a lot of buyers out there looking around and sniffing about and looking for a home for their money. Are there nice. a lot of businesses out there looking to sell to get out of what they're doing and get into something else as well? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. But, you know, it's, it's the old thing, Jamie. Like, I think if they're really impacted by the current environment, then they're not really in a position to sell. Yeah. Um, I think probably the mistake a lot of business owners make is that they think they can come to an advisor like me and I somehow have a magic wand and can make their business not suck. And <laughs> really, you know, I, I feel for these people. Honestly, I really do. But, like, it's not, you know, this is not about tricks and smoke and mirrors when you sell a business. You know, everything comes out in due diligence. And so you've got to be really upfront, really open, really honest and, and address problems. Don't try to hide them. Yeah, it's nice. funny because off air before um, you came on, Simon, I actually said to Rob, I had so many questions for somebody like you. I didn't know someone like you existed. So I've got lots of questions for you today and I'm really excited um, for the answers. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, Jack. I actually get that a lot. I, the amount of times I've had coffees with people well, when we could have coffee and the people go, I've just never met anyone who does what you do. Yeah. So, mate, 
happy to answer questions and add as much value as we can to anyone who might be listening. Yeah, nice thanks, one. Maybe we can just like back up a little bit here, Simon. Can you tell us a little bit about the Exit Advisory Group and actually what you do, like maybe from a, a more formal perspective, please? Yeah, sure, mate. Yeah, so look, um, try to give the short version here. I started my career in the investments world, so I worked in institutional banking, um, you know, global markets, always sort of helping people invest. You know, you want to put a dollar in something and get two out later, well, something's actually got to happen in the middle for that to happen, right? So um, we sort of shifted into this space just because we are really, really passionate about helping business owners. Um, you know, I'm one of these kind of stupid people that thinks, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners are actually the people who really change the world. You know, they're the ones who actually see stuff going on that either doesn't work or they don't like the way certain things work in the world. And they go, do you know what? I'm not just going to bitch about it. I'm going to go do something about it. And so I just think those people are awesome <laughs> and they need support. And what I think they, I find, though, is that they're very good at problem solving. They're very good at even building a business around that. But most of them are really, really bad at exiting. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> most of them will, you know, hey, I'm great at uh, selling widgets. I'm great at being an electrician. I'm great at doing whatever. Um, and they run this marathon we call life and business and they get 100 metres from the finish line and they trip over because they just don't know how to finish the race. So we just sort of saw a massive injustice in that and we thought, you know, we can, we can actually help. You know, we've done this with our own money. We've been through those stresses. We've had a ton of sleepless nights. Um, I used to have hair, by the way. Um, so, you know, how do we help people, business owners, plan for their exit? Because you are going to exit whether you like it or not. And if you are going to exit and sell your business, well, we want to help people do that in the best possible way so they can maximise the value of their company. So it's the whole process from the point where the business owner says to you, all right, Simon, I'm ready to sell my business or can you get me ready? To, all the way through to the sale of the business. Is that right? Absolutely. We even go a little bit further back, Jamie. Like, so I've had clients who came to me and saying, um, look, I'm nowhere near ready to get out, but I want to get out in 10 years and I need 10 million bucks to be able to go on and retire and live the life I want, you know, or whatever it might be. You know, some people might be a million bucks, but it, it doesn't matter what the number is. You know, there's, when you start, I just think all business owners should be thinking, um, you know, what's the end game? How do I work and build and grow my business with the end in mind? You know, it's, people say death and taxes are the only two things unavoidable. Well, guess what? Exiting your business is unavoidable. So you can either plan for this event and try to maximize that opportunity in your life, or you can kind of throw it to chance and just hope that things work out. Um, I, you know, I'm sure you guys are probably the same. I'm not the kind of piss it to the wind and just hope it works out kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Simon, uh, I might be putting you on the spot here a little bit. You said that exiting your business is inevitable, whether that's actually forced, it actually closes because of circumstances, or it's purchased and acquired by somebody else. Have you got some statistics about how long, uh, that's what I'm putting on the spot here, you might not know, that's okay. Do you know how long the average business lasts in Australia? How, not many businesses make it to a decade, do they? Yeah, look, it's an interesting question because obviously this, the whole demographic graphic shift of businesses has changed, right? You know, back in the day, people started businesses and they handed it down to the kids and down to the kids. And, you know, and a lot of that was around um, the fact that people didn't have a lot of choice back in the day. Um, you know, economies were different, education was different, information flow was different. So, hey, uh, my dad's a blacksmith, I'll be a blacksmith, etc. Um, what we do know around that multi-generational phasing is that only about 45% of companies go from generation one to generation two, and only about eight or nine percent actually make it to the third generation. Um, and, and if you think about it, it's kind of logical, right? I mean, we're so much more educated these days. Um, you know, the only the people that I've seen that for example, run an electrical business, right? They've made good money. They've developed a, you know, wonderful life for their family. They've maybe even sent their kids off to expensive bloody schools and all this sort of stuff. And the kids look at the business and go, oh, God, I wouldn't want to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I want to go and do other things now. I'm gonna, you know, He's foretelling your future, by the way, Jamie. I've, I've told my kids they're doing it. <laughs> but isn't it funny, right? The thing that actually made the family wealth is no longer a thing that they want to do anymore. Yeah. It's like, and, and, and a lot of it, frankly, is that they've just got choice. You know, hey, I'm into music. I'm into filming video whatever like those choices went around when i was a kid yeah probably same with you guys yeah totally totally well, it's like my kids you know they want to do the exact opposite to what i tell them so if i if i tell them they want to be to be sparky they'll probably want to be a bloody beautician i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> it's the exact opposite <laughs> 
would we know, mate? What would we know? I mean, how's idiot parents? <laughs> I was preparing for one of these electricians co-op podcasts a couple of months ago. I can't remember the business exactly, but on their website, it said, been around since 1917. And I, I sat, I was like on the front of their website. It was like their kind of claim to fame. And I thought to myself, first of all, that that's not what I would put on the website there as the hero image. I wouldn't say that right. But I actually sat with it for a couple of minutes and just thought about that to think how much had actually changed mm. in that industry, in the electrical industry mm. since 1917 and the multi-generational family business that it actually is. And that's a pretty remarkable achievement to actually see that. Do you, do you have the metrics around uh, trade-related businesses? Do you know those metrics? Uh, mate, look, it's it's in terms of how long people stay in business. Yeah. Mate, not, not exactly, no. There's no sort of real tr- full sort of source of truth there. I think, well, I think you can probably dig around some um, ATO statistics and stuff like that in terms of uh, an ABS statistics, sorry, around the length of businesses. But to be honest, it's changing so fast, Rob. You know, the world is shifting. You, you look at the average tenure of a CEO these days and it's about three or four years yep. um, unless they own the company, right, in which case it's a little bit different. But what I'm sort of seeing out there is that the market is so dynamic that people are starting companies and sometimes they're exiting and selling three or four years down the track just because there's a damn good opportunity. Quickly. Um, yeah, there's so much consolidation going on in some areas. And on the other hand, there's it's never been easier to start a business. So there's kind of a weird dynamic going on in the market that really hasn't existed before. So I mean, there's a few things, you know, like I've always wanted to sell my business or have it saleable or have it in a position where people are coming to me going, I want to buy a business. What would you say the top three things that buyers look for in buying a small business? Yeah, look, that's a really good question, Jamie. Um, you know, I, I think there's – First of all, there's different types of buyers, right? And so, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. There's there's a lifestyle buyer, right? Somebody who just looks at your business and goes, hey, I just love what you do. You've got a great life. I love the, the work you do. I just want to do what you do. And I don't need to take over the world or whatever else. Um, you know, and lifestyle buyers are great and they, they make a lot of the world turn for smaller businesses. Um, then you've got financial buyers out there who will look at your business purely from an investment perspective. And look, to a degree... Every, all of us as business owners can learn from them because I'm, I'm a bit of a believer that none of us are actually born to do business. <laughs> you know, we're actually born to live our life. Yeah. Right. And so number one thing you should be asking yourself is what kind of life do you want? And then we should shape our business to be a vehicle to deliver that life. So when you look at your business like that, your business is just another asset. And so you start to look at it quite um, in a different light anyway, in terms of how you want to build it, right? So financial buyers look at your business and go, well, how do I get a return on investment on this thing? Um, then you've got the third type of buyer is a strategic buyer. And strategic buyers are ones who, yes, they're going to be looking at ROI and fit and all that sort of stuff, but they've got some kind of lever in their business that that would make, you know, let's just say, for example, if your business turns over a million bucks in your hand, well, in their hands, they might be able to make your business turn over five or 10 million bucks just because of what they bring to the party. So when you say, what does a buyer look for? Well, buyers are all different. They're all looking for different things. And I think what you want to do as a business owner is step back for a moment, try to be really objective and say, well, who, how do I find strategic buyers? How do I be a strategic acquisition for another company? Because strategic acquirers will always have a bigger pool of money to be able to buy your business. Mm. Would I be right in saying that owning an electrical business, only an electrician would be looking to buy an electrical business? Because it's not like a cafe that I could go in and become a barista. Um, Are there people that aren't electricians looking to buy electrical businesses or is it electricians looking to buy other electrical businesses? Absolutely, there are non-electricians looking to buy electrical businesses. There are. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So think of it like this. I'll I'll give you one example. Um, I've seen a number of businesses get sold into the renewable energy space. Hey, we we sell solar panels. We do this. We do that. We outsourced a few electricians, but now we're getting that big. We need to to bring it in-house. So we either start developing this capability or let's go buy one. Right, mm. and bring those people on a journey. And I've seen that happen, by the way, numerous times. Um, there's um, other trades. So at the moment, um, you know, we see electrical and plumbing businesses. There's a lot of similarities in those. Um, hey, I want to expand my Sydney operation into the Central Coast. Um, you know, we've already got uh, plumbing across that area. Now I want to bring an electrician in. You know, hey, we're already in the household. 
Now I can offer a different service. Is there strategic fit there? Hell yeah. You know, I don't need two sets of administrators, two sets of all these other people. Now I can consolidate and refine my operations and just offer more. And do a lot of guys buy and rebrand the company or keep the same brand that they've bought? Yeah, and I think a lot of that depends on the company they're buying, right? Um, there's a bit of a rule when you buy a business. I mean, the first of all is do no harm, right? <laughs> don't damage the assets you're acquiring. And, and look, as simple as that actually sounds, a lot of people screw that up. So, you know, they think they can go in there and, oh, I know better and I'll change things. And No, no, no. no. like you're buying a business. In my, in my eyes, you don't touch it for the first year. You go in there and you keep your mouth shut and you, and you just – learn and ask a few questions and understand why people do the things the way they do it. And hell, you might actually learn something for your other business too, right? Mm, The process, yeah. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So the the brand may stick around if it's really worth something. Um, If not, they may just consolidate. Once again, it comes down to what they're they're buying from you. Um, But, Jamie, I'll circle back a little bit because I feel like I might have avoided some of your question there. You know, you asked me what buyers are looking for. It really does depend and if I can, if I can give a couple of tips for people in electrical businesses, because this is the sort of stuff that I see all the time that bites them in the ass. Pardon me, sorry. <laughs> um, one is get you've got to get the the dependence of the business away from the owner, right? If you're an owner and you're still on the tools, that's going to be a problem for you because when you go to sell, they're going to expect you to keep coming on the journey. And a lot of people, when they sell, they don't want to hang around and keep working, right? So if if you want to be able to sell take your money and depart fairly quickly and without any sort of hooks in you about performances and things like that, you need to be off the tools and you need to be able to demonstrate that the business can run without you. The so systems. A really, really big one. Yeah, absolutely. Systems and, and people, right? Good people below you that you can rely on to do those key roles. Um, another big one that I see in electrical businesses is just an over, over-dependence on either well and let's pick on customers for a second but i call it concentration risk right where you're overly dependent on any one supplier customer or even employee right now employees in a sale you can often manage that by you know coaxing the employee along a little bit throw them a carrot they sign a contract everyone's happy right but i'll give you an example of a business that i saw just recently where um in the electrical space they had 35, oh, sorry, I should tell you, in terms of the, the market they sell into, there was a bit of resi and <laughs> there was a chunk of commercial. And by commercial, it was dealing with builders, dealing with real estate agents, stuff like that, um, all good work and reliable and, and ongoing. But what they found is 35% of their revenue came from one customer. And so all of a sudden you're going, well, hang on a minute. Like if that customer leaves, you're not even profitable anymore. Mm-hmm. So oh, buyers start to get very nervous. They start to, you know, and, and it's risk versus reward, right? The higher the, higher the risk, the less they're willing to pay. So, you know, if you can mitigate risks and you can take fear away from a buyer, the more comfortable they get, the more they're willing to pay. So what about, um, say for me personally, um, Simon, a lot of the work that we get is handshake deals. Like it's not contractual. So are people looking at businesses like mine going, oh, it's too risky because they're only handshake deals and they probably rely on me? Yeah, look, absolutely. I mean, if there's a reliance on you and there's a reliance on the relationship to actually win the business, absolutely. Um, that's that's going to be a pivotal point. Um, and they would likely say to you, Jamie, like, hey, okay, look, we really love your business, Jamie. We love what you're doing. But, mate, you need to hang around for two years. Mm-hmm. After the sale, we, yeah. you need to keep working. You need to make sure that you transfer those relationships to someone else. Um, oh, and by the way, there might even be an earnout in there. And we can talk a little bit about how people get paid in a minute. But you know, it, 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 what they're saying is there's there's risk here that we're concerned about, and we need to transfer some of that risk to you. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, as a business owner, you sort of go. Well, certainly, most of my clients go. I've already done the hard yards. I've done this for years. I've built this thing to where it is. I don't want to cop all that right now. I've, you know, I'm giving you my business. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought of acquiring another business, Jamie? 100%. That's why I asked. Yeah, Do you I've see always, someone go, that looks like fair game there? Yeah. I, I've always wanted to get into, I've always wanted to pro image plumbing. Yeah, right. And that's why I asked the question about rebranding. And I, it makes sense if a brand is already working, you wouldn't rebrand it unless your brand was bigger, I suppose. But um, yeah, I've, I've planted the seed with a number of mates who are plumbers and asked them, there's like small plumbers um, that are just like their name plumbing, like, um, you know, Jamie Small Plumbing. And I asked them if they wanted to come across, planted the seed to a few people 
And yeah, I'm keeping my options open. I'd love to do it because we've developed a relationship with a number of our builders through me. So it's an opportunity to get double dip with my relationship in plumbing and electrical. So yeah, certainly. Nice one. Is that common, Simon? Yeah, look, absolutely. And and Jamie, there is a way you can merge the brands over time anyway. You know, what you don't need, to, what you don't want to do is you buy a business, you, you peel off the sign and then peel yours on and go out to the next. <laughs> the next day. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. You know, it's people buy companies all the time or companies buy companies all the time and they, and they ultimately, whoever is the acquirer fundamentally wants to build their brand. And so there are great processes that you can run to integrate and transition. Um, you know, you can do it as an alliance initially. Hey, you know, we're now working together and we're delivering better service and over time you just start shifting the paperwork and everything else. Yeah, it makes, so, makes um, sense. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. Well-beaten path on how to handle this stuff. Simon, I was wasting hours the other day on YouTube, as many people do, um, trying to educate myself on stuff. And the, the YouTube algorithm served me up a video, which was a Shark Tank video. And I typically don't watch that show, first of all, because I don't have a TV. I'm not exposed to it. And But on YouTube, you get the 15-minute the segment, right, of somebody doing their pitch oh, and then the sharks the arguing about it. it. And I, I actually was, oh, all right, I, I watched it for something different, right? And I was drawn right into it. And some of the, they picked the, like the best bits and the algo was showing me the thing that's got like 2 million views and all this sort of stuff. So I couldn't help but think that you would have to really know what you're doing as an investor to get involved in someone's business that you just watched for, I watched your really slick presentation, your slick pitch. I like your product and service. Like, do you deal with people that just know intuitively, hey, that's a that's a deal on, on that and they make a really fast decision? Because I was watching these things. I must have watched about five or six of them going, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then I'm going through my mind, how would you get this to market? What would you do? What about the logistics, the supply chain? What if that fell over? And I'm going through a thousand questions in my mind and trying to keep up with these sharks. And the shark goes, yeah, right, I'm in, 250000 bucks. And I'm like, dude, I didn't get past like the front door of the shop to actually, like my brain is not there, right? I'm just, I just don't have the experience or the exposure. And I'm just wondering, have you had experience and exposure to people like that before? First things, Rob, is that TV's TV, right? <laughs> um, you know, and that show is a, it's a, it's a, it's designed to entertain. What I will say is I've got friends of mine that have been on that show and actually won investment. Oh, wow. Um, so what you know, talking to them is that, even though they say, yes, you, you're the investor, hey, 250 grand, it, my due diligence starts after the show. <laughs> mm. So plenty of people who get offered money on the show don't get it. Right. Um, so- Are you ruining it? No. You're ruining it. Come <laughs> on, man. True. That's not true. This will be edited. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, yeah, I'll give you a quarter of a million dollars after I've had a look at your books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I've gone through with a fine tooth. So, uh, yeah. um, so, look, there is a lot of that happening. And, and look <laughs> That's the reality of it though, right? You want to sell your business and, and this is sort of coming full circle to my comment earlier is that things come out in due diligence. Everything comes out in due diligence. It's why when there's a problem or an issue in your business, you're so much better off to put it on the table and go, hey, listen, you're probably going to look at this and be concerned about X, Y, or Z, but let me talk you through how we handle that and how we mitigate that risk and why this is an important thing to consider. And, you know, I think when you take that approach, A, you clearly build trust because you're being honest, um, but B, you're not being realistic and trying to present that you're perfect when you're not. Um, so, so you know, I'll, I'll come back to your question, Rob, was that, you know, do you come across people that are really switched on and able to make those sort of quick decisions? Absolutely. But I think what it more is is that people are able to look at I want to see criteria A, B, and C. And if you tick those three boxes, what you've done is you've now won me over to take the next step and then the next step and so forth until we either get a deal done or the process breaks. Um, and that's and that's that's life, I think, in any kind of sales cycle. Nice. Good, good, good points. Good points. I just want to add a follow-up question to that one, if I may. These people standing there, got these products and services, doing these really clever pitches and stuff. And often I've seen these things. I saw one for a... Uh, just a bit random, right? Let just bear with me here. I saw one for a knife sharpening service. Yeah. So he, he gets the shark up and the shark comes up and cuts the thing with the blunt knife. And then he gives him the one that they've sharpened. And it's just like, it's like, he's like, yeah, man, everybody knows that that's the best thing. And they have a minimum buy-in of four units. They're minimum 10 bucks each. So it's a $40 spend. And the cost of someone going eh, eh, on the, on the grinder <laughs> fixing it is like three bucks or whatever. I don't know how they do it, but incredible business model. And they're all standing there going, 
what are you doing here, man? Like <laughs> you've got a great business, you've got a great model, great everything. And they're all, they're all like, oh, well, you know, we can't get to market. We need money for advertising. We need this, we need that. And so it kind of got me thinking that a lot of the businesses that I saw there on Shark Tank had really successful businesses and brands already, but they were willing to compromise and give away a percentage of their company, 10, 15, some, in some cases, like 25% of their company to get what didn't feel like very much money, a quarter of a million dollars in the scheme of a business. They wanted a quarter of a million bucks there and they were willing to give away 10%. And I'm like, really, man? Why don't you just go to the bank and get a loan? Like, mm. why don't you just like draw down your mortgage on your property? Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, I get it's television, it comes, it's But it comes with like, the resources as well of the investor. So yeah, you get, that, you get their skill as well. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say, Simon, that it's a good idea to actually invite somebody to tip in a little bit of cashola for your business in return for that? Have you seen that being good or bad or backfire or, or work? Because I couldn't decide where I stood on it, actually. I, I didn't know. And, and and look, it's a really interesting example. And, and the short answer is yes, yes. We've seen all those sort of examples of people just coming in and taking a small piece of equity to offer investment and, and help a business grow to the next level and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think that the um, the message is it really all depends on your business. Like every business is different. Every person's individual circumstances are different. Maybe they don't have a property. Maybe they don't have equity. Maybe they don't have, maybe they've got a bad credit history. Maybe they've got, you know, there's sort of stuff there that precludes people from being able to go and borrow. Um, you know, because I can I can assure you, and, I've, and I literally, I really do have a lot of friends who have, they've been on Shark Tank or they've been around the circuit of angel investors. They've done the presentations. I've even, you know, advised to their boards um, and seen the drive and the work. And I tell you, man, nobody understands the need for capital or more than somebody who's, who's done a startup and they're all in, mm. you know, like they really, they, they do not leave a, a stone unturned. And it's, I admire the hell out of people who go down that path because it, it's, it's all in, right? It's risky. Yeah. Um, I suppose when you get to a certain point in your business as well, Simon, you know, like, like when you top out where you've gone as far as you think you can get, it might be a good opportunity to sort of reach out to someone and go, mate, I need your skills to come in. You buy in, you got to invest in interest and help me grow to the next level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, absolutely, and it's it's horses for courses in terms of what's the right approach to help you grow. Um, couple of couple of little sort of I guess words of advice and warning, and just things to consider rather than advice. Um, you know, your point, Rob. Equity is expensive. You give up that equity, it's gone. So you, you know, two hundred grand. What's two hundred grand get you these days? Not, Not much, not a lot, really. Yeah especially when you look at the price of Google ads or whatever it is that you think you're going to be spending that money on. The other part is too, if an investor comes in and throws a couple of hundred grand or a million bucks or something in your business, it usually doesn't mean that you get to take that money off the table and go, oh, thank goodness, I'm now back paying for all the effort and time I put in this business. <laughs> that money goes in the business. Yeah, it doesn't go in your pocket. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So it's sort of like, okay, great. Well, it gets me to the next level, but I've got to now run the business and keep driving for that next two, three years before we probably hit the next level. Um, so there can be a bit of a disillusionment around what you're going to get out of having that investor. And as we said, once that 20, 30, 40% or whatever of equity is gone, it's gone. You don't get that back. So um, if you can fund through debt, it is cheaper, especially in today's environment. Um, if you can't fund through debt, um, get really clear, and maybe you do need some advice around this, but get really, really clear on what is the one or two things you need you know, that's, that's either holding you back or to break through that barrier and get to the next level. Because that next tier of a little bit of extra revenue, you might be able to self-fund and that's going to be worth a lot more to you down the track than just giving up 30% thinking you can cut the corner and get there quickly. Yeah, right? beautifully so that's, said. Yeah. If you do get a partner, and sorry, and I'll just cap that point off though, but Jamie, your point about bringing people in is, is an important one. Sometimes a business partner can be the best thing that ever happens to you. Unfortunately, <laughs> helping people sell businesses I invariably see a lot of where it goes wrong. And um, I've, I've helped a client out of a business earlier this year with two other business partners and it was horrible. Um, you know, they just, this is why people have shareholders agreements, right? You get a, and if you, by the way, if you have a business partner, you're listening to this and you have a business partner who owns equity in your business or you collectively own equity together and you do not have a shareholders agreement, um, I don't know, get my email address from somewhere. I'll put you onto a lawyer who can help you because you need a shareholders agreement and you need to design that agreement while you still like each other mm. because I've seen it go yep. to absolute custard yep. because things go south and they just hate each other. And I'll give you a little quote here for those who've got a business partner. 
we had a business, we had an offer of over a four multiple, it was a four and a half multiple. Uh, it was a company that was listing and they were snapping people up and willing to pay a premium. Two business partners hated each other. We had the greatest deal they were ever going to get and one business partner, it all turned sour and one business partner turned around us and said, I would rather burn this place to the ground <laughs> than see that guy get $1 out of this oh investment. My oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Like uh, dollar, so the total amount they would have made was a couple of million bucks each. Right? Yeah. You sit there and just go, seriously? Like, Put it aside yeah, and move on. Business, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. It got personal, and I've, just, I've seen those examples far too often. So be careful of who you get into bed with. And and make sure you don't uh, yeah, yeah jump in the wrong direction. Hey, just Gosh. quickly before you go to the break, Simon, just um, when we're talking about the multiples, what's the common multiple you work off? Is it four times your turnover? How does it work? Yeah, look, there's a couple of different ways you can value a business. Um, the most common methodology that you'll see out there is, it, particularly with electrical businesses, is often a multiple of your profit. But when we say profit, it's a form of profit, right? Like it's EBITDA. So without getting too technical, like we strip out a bunch of things out of your financials that aren't relevant. You know, depreciation, interest, all these sort of different things. And and by the way, if you've got some personal expenses running through the business, um, look, it's not the end of the world. We strip that stuff out as well. So it's it's let's get to the guts of what operating profit looks like, and then you multiply that by a number. Now, I know there'd be a lot of people listening to this going, "Yeah, I heard it's a two times multiple or a three times multiple and stuff like that." And and look, you know, averages and rules of thumb come around because there's enough deals done at those levels. Um, what I would say to you though is, if you think your business is average then you'll probably get the average number. But if you think your business is not average, or if you'd like to build your business in a way that it's not average, then you can get above average returns and valuations. So I've seen trades go anything from a one to a sort of five time, um, literally because of the way they've structured the business, the, the model that they've got, and, and ultimately, you know, you just need to understand what those levers are in your business so you can build for value as opposed to just turnover and stuff like that. Wow, great. Great, great information. Great information. Love it. You get any questions answered? Yeah, mate. (laughs) Good stuff. All right, let's take a little break. Thanks, Simon. Hey there, Rob Russ here. If this is your first time here at the Electricians Co-op, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. Thank you for your loyalty. Now, if you like what you hear on today's show, make sure you share this with your mates who are electricians. Jamie, myself, and Simon, we want to reach as many people as we can with the Electricians Co-op, and we want to help more people to break through to the next level in their career, their business, and their life. Well, Simon, I want to move on from what we're talking about there and just start talking about maybe a little bit of specifics in the here and now. You mentioned before, which I thought was really, uh, really relevant, actually, that sometimes people come to you and say, I want to sell my business in 10 years. I'm almost at retirement age. I want to get off it. What can someone do today in their electrical business to start that actual process and start moving forward with that? Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things you can do. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, I think you need to have an understanding of where you want to be like what does the ideal world look like um and and to that end a lot of that's actually not a business question it's a life question yeah yeah it's a life question right like um what kind of lifestyle do you have what kind of how much money do you need to live the life you want whatever that looks like um i don't know about you like i've never been a person who goes oh just my dreams will be true when i drive a ferrari or something like that that stuff doesn't motivate me um i love my family i love travel i like doing that sort of stuff so i want to be able to fund that kind of lifestyle so so money is important but only to a point um yeah, you know, I think I think Tim Ferriss, you know, for our work, where he talks a lot about that stuff, right? You don't you don't need millions of bucks to live a millionaire's lifestyle. Mm. And I just think it's getting clear on that lifestyle is the most important thing first. Now, there's a couple of factors you want to throw in there. So, valuation financials is going to be part of it. Timing is another one, and timing's kind of a funny one because you sort of go, well, how long do you want to keep working and doing the things that you're doing today? Um, and now let's be honest, right? As your business scales, your day-to-day role tends to change anyway. Um, and I've seen some people say they loved that change and I've seen other people say they hated that change. Um, so thinking about how you spend your time on a day-to-day basis is really, really important. Um, 
And by the way, I've had business owners just hire CEOs because they went, I don't want to be the CEO guy. I just want to be the nerd who gets to play with all the equipment, you know? <laughs> cool. The guy knows what he wants, right? So how you spend your time is important. How long you own the business is important. So one of the things around timing and ownership and stuff like that's worth considering is I have owners who say to me sometimes, I don't really want to sell. I'll just build the asset and I'll move out and I'll let someone else run it. But then when we looked at things, we went, actually, your business represents 80% of your entire personal wealth. Do you really want to have all of your 80% of your wealth in one asset managed by someone else? Like any investor out there, you know, an investment advisor will tell you diversification is important, right? Yeah. Some of these factors are thinking, how long do you want to work in the business? How long do you want to own the business are all timing factors. And then timing and valuation play a little important part. You know, I have owners who come to me and go, right, Simon, I've worked out my number. I heard you on a video. I heard your podcast. I've worked out my number. I need $5 million. And then I look at his business and go, ooh, I think it's probably worth about five hundred grand. How long are you willing to hang around and build it to $5 million? Oh, well, I'll give, it a, I'll give it a year or so. <laughs> so. Well, mate, there's a bit of a gap here, you know, <laughs> like unless you've got rocket fuel or you can got a magic wand to wave, you know, where you are today to where you want to be, that's not a realistic timeline. So you've either got to adjust your expectations and reduce the value you want or give yourself more time, right? So valuation, financial needs, timing needs. The third one's a bit of a funny one. It's legacy, right? And, and, and this is, I say funny because a lot of people go into business, they think, I oh, don't care about legacy. It's not my name on the door, although a lot of Sparkies will have their name on the door. Um, it's, but it's not just that. It's not just where, what's going on with my name. It's, it's when I leave this room, this business, how will everybody think about me? And, and do I care? Because right? I've had business owners say to me, I'm not doing the deal with that buyer because he disrespects my suppliers. I'm not doing the deal with that buyer because he'll disrespect my employees. I'm not going to do the buyer. You know, he'll, he'll harm my customers. Um, so, okay, wow. And I've had a guy who took the lowest of three offers because he felt the buyer respected the business more than anyone else. Mm. Didn't trust him with what you've created, that legacy that you created, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right. And he just knew that everybody would go, wow, you know, John's retired and aren't we happy that he's sold to this guy because he's awesome. Um, other owners, and by the way, that doesn't mean you have to be like that. I've got other clients who don't care about legacy. They go, look, I've built a good business. I've got great process. I've got respect with my, my stakeholders, but they don't need me and they don't rely on me. And whoever buys this business can do whatever they want because it's their asset then. Right? So everybody's different and there's no right or wrong there, but it, you need to ask yourself that question. Right? Is this important to me? Because there's nothing worse than being halfway through a deal and you think you're about to go to contracts and all of a sudden you have this crisis of confidence and, oh, my God, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing here and <laughs> everything blows up and your world suddenly is in Custard again. Yeah. <laughs> so what's stopping you, say, if I wanted to cash in on my business and get out, what's stopping me selling my business and just starting another electrical business? Is there usually a clause in there to say you can't do that? Yeah, great question, Jamie. There, there usually is a restraint of trade clause. Um, so often they'll say to you, you can't work doing the same work, usually at least in the state, if not Australia-wide, that um, there's all parameters. There's geographic parameters and then there's timing parameters. I've seen um, restraint of trades come in as long as five years, which is horrendous. Um, as I said to him, I wish he'd been my client. I would have got that down for him. Um, so it's negotiated between you and the buyer, is that right? Definitely. And once again, it's perceptions of risk, right? Um, you know, one of the funny things, Jamie, is it's kind of a little bit of show and tell and gamesmanship because – if you're really anti the clause, the more you're anti it, the more the buyer thinks, well, you're obviously wanting to go and <laughs> you're going to manifest that bigger. One, yeah. yeah, don't focus on that at all. Yeah, that's a funny one. Kind of cool about it and don't overplay your hand and everything else. I mean, you might want to start another business down the track, but I think it's important to respect the fact that you're selling your business to somebody, they're paying you fair value for it, and you want to respect that deal and, and not undermine it, right? So, um, so yeah, look, I think, I think, you know, two years is quite common. Three years is also common. If you're getting asked for more than three years, you should be asking why. Yeah. And what are some of the common mistakes that people selling their business tend to make? Mate, I'll, I'll give you the number one that I'm, I'm talking to so many people at the moment. They're running their business. They're making money. They're doing well. Everything's ticking along. They're not even thinking of selling. 
next you know, they get a little tap on the shoulder. You know, maybe it's a competitor, maybe it's a supplier, could be even a customer going up the chain, right? And there's nothing quite like it for a business owner to get a tap on the shoulder when someone says, hey, I'm kind of interested in buying your business. And, mate, I'll tell you what, the head just starts to grow, the chest is, you know, <laughs> whoa, whoa, look at this, you know, somebody wants to buy my business, you know, you feel like you're king of the world. And then they start, and it's, and it's friendly, right, there's a good relationship, they start going down that path and what they find time and time again is that they end up spending six, nine, even 12 months in discussions and this and that and eventually lawyers start getting involved and the original relationship that was there is kind of gone. That guy's off now. He's handed you over to the advisors and it suddenly has gotten very, very business-like and unfriendly in some ways. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, everyone can smile and be friendly to you, but the negotiation has shifted and invariably what is, and this is a tried and tested method from larger businesses, they just know that if they drag you out long enough, after a while you get deal fatigue and that's when the low offer comes in. Hey, I know we were talking about a million bucks, but really after everything we've done, it's really only worth five and a grand. You know? <laughs> and, and the person selling is going, I'm so bloody over this. I've already been spending the money in my head. I just want this done. And, and, and they're hoping that you'll take the deal. Um, of course, a lot of people tell them to go and jump. Um, but literally, I had a phone call with a guy last week. He goes, I've, I, my business can't be sold. I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I've had three attempts at it. And I said, and, and literally the same case, it was a customer, it was a supplier, et cetera, et cetera. I said, tell me a bit more about your business. Turned over 16 mil for a three mil profit. I'm like, mate, I can sell your business. Yeah. <laughs> like Those kind of numbers, it can be sold, but you've got to have a process around it. You know, so long story short, boys, is if you get tapped on the shoulder, um, my biggest suggestion and at the risk of sounding self-serving is get some advice, get people around you who know what they're doing and don't get sucked into the process yourself because to be frank, you've got a business to run. And the worst thing that can happen anyway is even if you do handle it yourself, you're so caught up in the deal that over the next six months, you're not watching your business and your numbers start going down. Like it, it's just fatal. So Get, get people around you that can support you, that can provide advice, that have been there before, and they can point out the potholes, not to step in and the watch, don't trip over these things. It's It'll make your life a lot easier, and trust me, it'll be worth a lot more in the end, that investment. So, um, so yeah. Great, great advice. So yeah. I was saying to Jamie before the show today that uh, I just finished a, a book with one of my favourite authors. His name's Ryan Holiday, and the book is called Ego is the Enemy. And I, I can't help but think of some of the quotes from that book as you're speaking about it. You know, you're talking about a guy getting a big head because he got a, an offer and he thinks he's king of the world. And uh, it also sounds like what you do with the Exit Advisory Group is actually more than just business and talking numbers and negotiations. There's like a little bit of life coaching going on in there, Simon. And there's a bunch of things that are happening. And ego must be the enemy of the entrepreneur and the business owner big time in your circumstance. Yeah, I oh, look for sure. And, I, and I've got to say, you know, we, we're a bit of a pin in the balloon sometimes for people because you know, they think their, their business is worth so much. And then when you sort of go, well, look, if you just step out of your world for a minute and look at it from a different perspective, it's, it's often oh, quite a different view. But, but yeah, look, ego is a, a great enemy. I, I, I completely agree. Um, one of the things I'd sort of say is <laughs> if you go and ask for advice for somebody who all they ever do is do transactions, guess what? They're going to tell you you should sell because that's how they make money. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I've always just believed that your life is more important than your business. So if you come to me telling me you're going to, you want to sell, I'm going to ask you why. Um, and I want to, and I want to get to the heart of whether or not a transaction is the right path. Um, I've had numerous clients who came to me saying, Simon, I want to sell. I'm done. I'm over it. And then when you got to the guts of it, we realized they just had some problems in their business that they needed to fix and they didn't know how to do it. And so once we help them work out how to do that, and sometimes we'll dial in other people, but solve those problems, they fall in love with their business again, they're happy and they're <laughs> off they go and they're on the right path, right? Nice. Like that to me is amazing. I love that. That's, That's a good result, yeah. Yeah, I get up for that every day. So I reckon there's a few people out there right now listening thinking, I'm thinking that too. I'm going to cash in right now. <laughs> so what would be the best bit of advice you'd give someone if they're looking to sell their business, Simon? Yeah, look, it's about running a process. Nobody can tell you, oh, I, you know, I can find your buyer tomorrow and they'll pay this. Bullshit. Like you, you can't say what somebody else is going to do in a transaction. They're going to look at your business and, and make their own mind up as to what they think it's worth and what they're willing to pay. What I can say is if you run a really thorough and robust process 
you give yourself the best chance to find that buyer who's willing to pay what, you know, we all believe it's worth. Um, like anything, you know, you got to think about what's the market look like? Are there competitors? Are there suppliers? Are there customers? Are there complementary businesses like a plumbing business that, you know, you're not competing, you're not buying and selling from each other, but there's just a really good connection there. How do we map all that, find who they are, get them into a process, let them know, by the way, that it's our process, not theirs. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I've seen a lot is that if you don't have a process to put buyers through, they simply put you through their process. And guess what? That's designed to get them a better outcome. Mm. So run a really tight process, have a solid deal team around you to help you get the things done and quite frankly, keep you away from the fray. Like, you know, some of these negotiations, sometimes they can be a little bit irritable and, you know, a little bit tense in some cases. So, mm. You know, if you're going to be selling and you might have to hang around for a year, you don't want to sully your relationship. You just want to stay clean, right? Let let your advisors handle some of the legwork and dirty work. Yeah, I love it. Great advice. Yeah, well let's, said. Thanks, Simon. Yeah, let's take a little break. Well, it's been a long time coming, Simon. It's been a long time coming. Well, maybe the people don't know that, listeners don't know that, but your podcast is here, mate. Congratulations on the Buy, Build, Sell podcast. How's it all going? Tell us a little bit about that. I want to give this a little bit of a plug because I think the people that are listening to the Electricians Co-op podcast are always looking for a, a, a better another listen and a better way of doing things in their life. And you've got some incredible guests and incredible people on your show. Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, you know, look, I guess... For those who have heard the first part of this podcast, I mean, it's it really is about helping business owners, right? Um, and I think as humans, we learn a lot from hearing the stories of other people. Uh, in actual fact, you start talking facts and figures and most people's brains just automatically shut down, right? But if you're telling them a story or if even better, like somebody else is telling you their story and what they went through, good, bad or indifferent, there's something in our brains that turns on and, and it actually absorbs that information a lot better. And so our podcast is designed to talk to business owners in the effort to help other business owners. You know, let's share their stories. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? We want to hear it all because, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those believers that we we learn a lot more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. Yeah. Um, you know, that old ego, oh, I just got to win. Jeez, I'm pretty good. You know, <laughs> I just learned nothing out of that because mm -hmm. I'm so thinking I'm so great. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, you run a business or you lose some money or a deal goes south or a customer doesn't pay you. Man, you feel that and you learn from that. And so... I guess we took that whole concept of telling stories and combined it with a topic that people don't really talk about. You know, when you go to your barbecue or you meet someone who's sold a business, they go, oh, yeah, so I'm a business. Yeah, oh, yeah, I did all great. They don't tell you the numbers. They don't tell you how the negotiation went. They don't tell you the multiple. They don't tell you the time they felt screwed um, or they felt like a failure. Um, we want to hear those stories. We want to hear business owners going, look, you know what? I did this well. I got that wrong. And if I had my time again, I'd try X, Y, Z, um, you know, around topics they just don't hear about. So that's, mate, that's the podcast. And, and you know, anyone who's been in a transaction with, with hey, and if you're hearing this and you've got a business, you've been in through a transaction, we'd love to interview you. We'd love to talk about it and uh, respect your privacy, of course. But, um, but yeah, you know, like it's really just about entrepreneurs helping other entrepreneurs. Yeah, I love it. Has there been a highlight guest? Oh, Jamie, the loaded question, man. That's hard. How do I say that and then insult all my other guests? Do you want me to give? Do you want me to give you the? I'll give you the diplomatic answer. They're all good. I love them all. They're so individual and they're so so different. Is, is there maybe another way to ask the question? That's that's my fault, by the way. I wrote that question. I should have written it better for you. Uh, I think the way to ask no, the question. That's how I would have asked it anyway. Is there something that stands out like uh, like a yeah. epiphany that you had there with somebody? They say something. You went, oh man, I didn't know that. Do you know? Lots of times um, is is the is the answer. Um, and you're right. All your guests are individual because their story is unique. And and I think what I've found is if you look at across the kind of key topics that we touch on, you know, you're buying a business, selling a business, doing an earnout, negotiating, coming up with contracts, how long it all took. Like everybody's had a little insight of the the one of the lessons that they've learned. And so, you know, I think whatever your situation as a listener might be, if you're running a business at the moment, and you're thinking about this stuff, I can pretty much assure you that at least one of our guests has probably talked about that issue. So, you know, and, and if you're not sure and you don't want to search like the poke, ping us a note, mate, I'll, I'll point you in the direction of a couple of good stories to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. That's good stuff. What about the journey for you uh, doing 
podcast. You've done, you've got a lot of experience speaking, you've got a lot of experience pitching and talking and doing that in front of people. But what have you learned about yourself as a podcaster? It's not as easy as it looks doctoring a conversation, but you seem like a natural as I, as I took you through that process. I didn't really need to take much, much, a couple of pointers and you were on your way and you got it, man. Yeah, look, it's been a learning journey. There's no doubt about that, Rob. And I've got to say, mate, like working with you to get our podcast up is what made the difference. I mean, I knew nothing about podcasts. Um, I knew the concept and I knew that what we'd looked at, that we felt like this was a really great way to share some messages and help people. Um, But knowing that we actually had a plan I mean, mate, I don't know how many calls we've been on. You've been on calls with not just myself, my team. <laughs> how many? You're like you've been very generous, and that's you know we wouldn't have been, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have launched without your help. So, you know, that's the first thing I'd say is you know get get some help from people who know what they're talking about. Um, but in terms of the journey for myself, mate, it's been lovely. Um, one of the things I have learned is how to be a better listener. Um, you know, I, I realize. As somebody who talks for a living, I kind of talk a lot. <laughs> um, and maybe the art is now and again is knowing when to shut up. <laughs> so so that's been that's been really good for me. And and just I, I think being able to talk to people about stuff that can be quite sensitive and quite personal and and try to do it in a way that's really respectful and honors their story without trying to just reveal something controversial. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think that's made me question a lot of things about myself and, and the people that I'm with. Very nice. Mm. Sound like a natural. So I mean, how many episodes have you done so far? Mate, we've only, we've launched, um, uh, what is it? Half a dozen, seven or eight now. I think it is that are actually launched. We've recorded 28 episodes now. Wow. Um, you know, one of the things I, I worked out with Rob in the very beginning and, and I've, I've told people this, I, I'll tell anybody who'll listen, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but, um, you know, when I sat down with Rob and we talked about doing a podcast, Rob said to me, and Rob, please correct me if some of my stats are wrong. I'm, I'm pulling up things from my old memory here. But, you know, it was something like, um, you know, 95% of podcasts or something, you know, or, or the average number of episodes for podcasts was about five or seven or something like that. But 95% of podcasts don't get over 20 episodes. Also. <laughs> I've heard the same thing. So, so the, stat, the stat is there's more, than, there's more than a million shows out there. And of those million shows, half of them, haven't had an episode uploaded in the last 90 days, which means they died on the vine, right? And of that, only half of them have got more than 17 episodes. So there you go. you're at, you're nearly at 30, so you're twice what the average actually is. So well you're well ahead of the curve there, which means that'll be sustainable for you for the long long haul because if you've got your systems in place to actually make it work for you, then you can actually get a buzz out of it and enjoy it. And enjoy what are we up to now, Rob? How many? 60-odd? Yeah, something like that. Dungeon, yeah. Dungeon and we'll actually number one. Um, if you go into Spotify or Apple Podcasting and you type in electrician, we come up number one in the world. These two, bu- these two buff heads in the front of like Apple and Spotify. Like, Can you seriously believe it? That's unbelievable. Funny. I've just been showing my mates that. What did they say when you showed him? Whatever. You changed it. <laughs> <laughs> you doctored the screen. I didn't, man. I swear. Look, it's real. Look, I swear. That's no, pretty cool. <laughs> I had my uh, I had my go all in show hit number one in the first month or something that it was alive and it was in the number one spot and I was like, what the hell? I knocked Tim Ferriss and mm-hmm. Gary V off their perch and all of that and um, I, I looked the second week and I'm like out of the top 200 and I'm like, where did he go? Where did who go? He's gone, man. He's like a boy band from the 1990s, like a one hit wonder, and it was gone. But you know, I was there. I got the screenshot. It was real. I didn't doctor it. I promise yeah. you, I was there. Uh, pretty proud moment, you know. So I showed my kids and my missus, and they're like, "Wow, how good's that?" So we're in a over at Rob's place doing the podcast. I don't know if you're having a coffee or actually working. And and like I've said to a mate the other day, who's a carpenter, when you're sitting behind the microphone talking, when you're so used to using your hands, it doesn't feel like work. So it's um, it's really enjoying being here. Yeah, yeah. Simon, I wanted to ask you just one last question about your journey there and and podcasting itself. Like I know for myself, when I get to engage with somebody in a, you, you build a fast relationship with somebody in a podcast and sometimes you leave it and you are so unbelievably energized from it and you're smiling from ear to ear just because you had this really deep and useful conversation. Have you been, have you experienced that so far? Mate, plenty of times. Oh, nice. It's funny, you know, we're all working from home and my wife is our marketing director, co-founder, you know, and she'll always hear me because I'll, I'll get off the podcast and there's like a, yeah, yeah, oh, my God, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so we're so good. And, you know, I can't, they can't shut me up, of course. So, 
and uh, and my beautiful uh, operations manager producer Cheska, she's fabulous, and she, she I always get this little note of man, I can hear your energy. I could you guys, you're just having a little love fest in there. So it's yeah, <laughs> look, I think it's it's one of the highlights, right? Like you, That's you, awesome. you get to get a get a little window into the soul of some people and and make that little connection, and it's um yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. It's, it's a pretty cool way to earn a living. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's, ladies and gentlemen, it's the Buy, Build, Sell podcast, and you can find out more about that show on Apple and uh, Spotify. And if you just take a little peek at the show notes, the links are right there. So, check it out. Make sure you connect with Simon and uh, tune into that podcast as well. All right, let's take a little break and we'll close out the show. Simon, we covered a lot of ground on today's show and thank you so much for coming on and being so giving. I'm certain that the Sparkies listening to this will get some great value out of it. I always like to give the guest the the kind of final word. Did we cover everything that you wanted to cover? Is there anything else that you thought might be relevant or, or did we get it all for you today? Mate, I think, you know, we've covered so much ground. So, you, you know, I think if <laughs> I usually hang up and realise the things that I've forgotten. So, you know, anybody who's listening to this who goes, damn, I wish you'd covered X, Y or Z, hey, reach out. Like, I, if nothing else, hopefully you've realised we're pretty approachable people and, you know, ping me a connection on LinkedIn or something. I don't know, but uh, just reach out. I'm always happy to answer questions and, you know, it's uh, life's, life can be hard enough. If we can make the journey easier, you know, be kind to yourself and, uh, and try to spend some time with people who, uh, who support you and you know help you get where you're going to go and help you feel good so beautifully said beautifully said is linkedin the preferred way of connecting with you look definitely yeah and look please if you send me a connection request i, I get a lot of them and and i'm happy to connect with people but please just just put a little note saying that you heard me on this podcast because i, I will then know exactly where you're coming from and i'd love to connect with you Mm. Awesome. Ladies Very and gentlemen, well. just scroll on down to the show notes and you can connect with Simon. For me, Jamie, the Instagram worlds, please, would be really nice. Rob.brus77 or at the Electricians Co-op. And how about you, Jamie? Um, I deleted Facebook the other day or oh. temporarily deactivated oh. it, so I'm off Party pooper. Party but, um, pooper got off social media. Let's call that about 2,600 and something followers at the moment, so that's going really well. A lot of Sparky's been reaching out and been trying to help them whenever I can, questions, advice, whatever. So if anyone needs any advice or questions or a shoulder to cry on, please reach out there or give us a call. I saw a couple of screen grabs of people uh I've got a I've got a trip. I've got like five hours ahead of me and stuff. I'm like, where are you going yeah. in COVID? You can't drive anywhere, but they're going somewhere. They're obviously going to work or something. Listen to the co-op podcast. Listen to the co-op yeah, podcast. Binging on Rob and Jamie. What the oh, hell? No, far out. I thought it was boring. Should actually put a bit what? of Simon stuff in there and then <laughs> yeah. maybe that'll break it up for him and Simon's got some different yeah, types love of your energy, Simon. It's um, inspiring. So well done and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much, mate. Awesome. Hey, Jamie, have you got a final quote to close out the show? Have you got something for us today? I haven't got anything prepared, but I think yeah, there's a lot of things at the moment that are uncontrollable. So I think you need to control the controllable. And two things you can control is what goes in your ears and what comes out your mouth. So uh, put on the electrician's podcast and listen to something inspiring or Simon's podcast as well. And make sure whatever you say, you're speaking positively because you can speak things into existence. So be careful what you say. Love it. Nice little sentiment to close out the show. Gentlemen, let's wrap this one up and get out of here. Thanks again for coming on, Simon. We look Thanks, forward Simon. to seeing you next time. Bye for now. See you, Rob. Yeah.
Take it too far, I dwell in the sand like a fish on land. 